Wow, that was awesome. I'm like so stinking proud of that group over there. Those guys are just incredible. Thank you so much, guys. What an incredible service today. Let's jump right in. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. What an amazing song. You know, my title for today is Easter is Over and It's Just Beginning. I don't know about you guys, but I really enjoyed my Easter time, and it's good to know that here, at least at North River, that things keep going even after Easter, right? That that was an incredible moment, an incredible time to celebrate the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but it was amazing that we even got to sing about that just there, about worthy is the lamb who was slain, worthy is the king who conquered the grave, but you know, it didn't just stop with the conquering of the grave. Things continue in Acts chapter one. In Acts chapter one, verse one, this is my first time using this thing. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Jumping down in verse six, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. We can finish this, can't we guys? to Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky, and as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, what does the ascension mean to you? When you think about it, what do you think about kind of that moment? You know, for these disciples, it came with mixed feelings. They were still a little bit confused. It's, there's hope for us, isn't there? They were still a little bit confused. All right, all right so, so Jesus, you ready to go? So you, ra- you rose like, it's time. Let's go. Let's conquer Israel. And, uh, and Jesus is like, guys, it's not, it's not your job to know when I'm going to do this or when I'm going to do that. And you wonder, like, why? Why were they looking up into the sky? I mean, that was like the shortest motivational speech ever, right? I'm going to try and be that brief today, okay, for, for you guys. We had an incredible service so far. But what a, what a brief, hey, I'm going to give you power. You're going to be clothed with power, and then you're going to be my witnesses. See you later. Don't we wish it was that easy sometimes, guys? I mean, in here, we have our mission state as disciples, that this is, this is who we are. Don't we wish sometimes it was just this simple to grasp? Why did Jesus not need a three-point sermon here? Because all, everything had already been said. 
up until this point. You know, you think about the motivation that we're supposed to have as disciples of why we do what we do, and they had just witnessed it 40 days before. They saw their king give up everything, their life, his life, and then raise again. And that's why I want us to turn to Matthew 28, which I think flushes out a little bit more what could have happened in that incredible moment, the ascension. Matthew chapter 28, we've never read this passage before in our entire lives. I didn't even put it up on the slides because I knew, I knew that we had been there. You know, it's interesting, but what, had, what if Jesus didn't ascend? You ever thought about that? You know, in John 16, Jesus actually says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You know, Jesus was convinced that it was for our benefit that he would leave this planet. You know, imagine what it would look like. I mean, you could make the, make the case, Jesus could run this church better than any of us, right? So why not just stay here? Can you imagine trying to have D time with Jesus when there's a thousand people in this room? You know, like, how would he schedule that out? Hey, let's get some time together. Let's talk about how you're doing. Let's figure, you know, hey, what do you need to get open about? Can you imagine life like that? I mean, how many places could it be at once? He could only be in one. Could he be here leading the, the, the church service at North River and down in Tuskegee or in Savannah? Could he do those things? You know, Jesus seemed convinced that it was better for him and for us, for us, for him to go because something would come that would help us, right? The Holy Spirit would give us the power to do something unimaginable, which is to share our faith to be a witness to the ends of the earth. Let's read Matthew 28, in verse 18. You're going to have to look at your own Bibles for this one, because I told you I didn't put in the slide, because maybe most of you guys could quote it, right? I mean, upside down does it really well for me. You know, that just makes that whole scene, and now go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And then the lights go off. Oh, so awesome. We know this, don't we, guys? Do I need to read it again? I'm going to read it one more time. Let's look at these red letters here. Then Jesus came to them and said, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I just prove that by conquering the grave. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. You know, when I think about the ascension, I really think of three things. I think about the calling that Jesus gives us. I think about the comfort that he promises, and I think about the countdown. You know, so much of what the ascension is really supposed to remind us is that he's descending someday. You know, the angel in, 
in Acts chapter 1 said, hey, what are you guys doing standing there? He's going to come back the, just, the same way that you just saw him leave. And he tells us to go, to make disciples of every nation, to baptize them, and then to teach them to obey everything. And the whole cycle starts over. Now, do you wish that he gave you a more elaborate strategy to evangelize the world? Three sentences is what he gives us. Obviously, right, Jesus said way more, right? And he spent three years training his disciples. That's not, that's, it's not just that he died. That's not his only mission that he had when he was on the earth. He really spent his time pouring into these people that would be able to do this after he was gone. And yet he simplifies it here with his last words. Do you, do you ever think about what your last words would be? You know, I think about like if I just pushed my wife out of the, out of a, out of the way of a moving car and I'm, you know, on the ground and I just, hun, it goes, I think of different things at different points. Hun, I'll see you in heaven someday. You know, like her, you know, I don't know, what, do you ever think about that stuff? Jesus, how much time did Jesus have? How much time did he think? Did he have to think about what his last words would be? And these are them. You know, we cannot talk about this verse enough. Last words mean something. They're special. They're important. I got a question for you today. Do you remember the last time you made a disciple? Do you remember what it felt like? You know, you may have been here a couple weeks ago when, uh, you, when this, this man Dalton got baptized. Uh, it was actually during the All Georgia uh, service, so some of you guys might have been here. But uh, Dylan, the guy who looks like he's kind of possessed in the middle, <laughs> um, as I was sharing right there, out of nowhere, from my blind spot, tackles me which is completely inappropriate to do, you know, during a service. He ran through, which aisle was it? Do you, who, was, who was here and remembers? I think it was this aisle right here. He ran through and tackled Dalton from behind, and he was so happy because he wasn't sure if he was going to make it in time, and, and interrupts my perfectly crafted three sentences to intro Dalton about his, you know, uh, about him getting baptized. But that's how he felt, and so I couldn't fault him for it, you know. You know, I remember, uh, I don't know how many of you guys know Becca, but remember the first time she helped someone become a Christian? She, she pulled me aside and she said, hey, Tom, Tom, come here, come here, look. And I was like, what was that? He's like, that was me bearing my first fruit right there. Let's go. <laughs> and she was so fired up. She was so stoked. Oh, man, this is Jordan Fernie right here. And, uh, and I remember studying the Bible with Jordan after, I think I was here for six months, and, uh, and Jordan really gave me faith for the rest of my life, because if Jordan can become a Christian, then anyone could become a Christian. I remember this one day, we were talking about guy-girl relationships, and I was giving him some advice, and he looks at me in the eyes, kind of with this fire that didn't seem like he was very happy with me in that moment. You know, I've been thinking about this, Tom. I don't have to do 
what you tell me. Or it was something to that. It's like, I don't have to go by relationships the way you say. For, I mean, I'm so grateful that day that I had a great quiet time. <laughs> because I was reading through, I think, Proverbs. I was like, you know what, bro? You don't, know, you don't need to know what I, what I need to, or you don't need to do what I say. But let's look at a, let's look at a proverb here. In the, you know, a man's ways seem right to him, but in the end, what's it lead to, Jordan? You want to read that passage for me? <laughs> it leads to death. That's right. Let's, you know what? Let's look at another passage. And we went over here, and just to see him, see the light in his eyes, and see him change. I remember seeing him get baptized and being able to baptize someone who's truly one of my best friends in life. The joy. Do you remember for you? I actually have his tie clip right there from his wedding. There you go, Jordan. What's up, bro? But do you remember? You know, we got two special people right here. So Nathan, one day I was, uh, I was out on the green at Kennesaw, and uh, Courtney's dad was with us. And, uh, and so I don't know if I was just trying to impress him, but there was this one guy on the green during the summer, and so I was like, I got to share my faith with him. And he was reading a book. And so my logic was, he's reading a book, maybe he would like to read the Bible. Um, that was my logic. He was the only person. I went and shared my faith with him. I was like, hey man, do you think you're a Christian? Or I, I, don't, I probably wasn't that abrupt. So let me just, I forget exactly what I said. It's probably very generic. Hey man, would you be interested in, uh, in you know, studying the Bible? He said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, absolutely. Come to find out that the day I met him, he had this huge big gulp cup right next to him. And it was filled with alcohol as an 18-year-old, so he had no problem in that moment saying, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, as he's chugging down this big gulp, you know, enjoying the summer sun. But he became a Christian, and I remember how inspiring that was. I remember meeting Cody, who's on the left right there, and, uh, and I remember the Bible talk he first went to, and we talked about spiritual blindness. We talked about how if you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And he shared in the Bible talk, you know, I thought until this moment that I was doing great. But what I'm realizing right now is when I think I'm doing great, I'm blinding myself with my own pride. And we got in a Bible, we set up a Bible study the next day, and I just remember the miracle of again helping another best friend. What's up, Cody? How you doing, bro? Helping a, a friend become a Christian. Do you remember the feeling when you made a disciple? Now, these are two guys right here. This is Chase and Kyle, best friends. I think this is at Chase's baptism. Kyle got baptized a couple, like a month later or, or three weeks later. But I remember Chase was, came early to a Bible study one day. And uh, I was in a, in a D group with some guys. We were getting open about our lives. And as he walked in, we kind of just kept going. And so we just kind of kept sharing how messed up we are. And I remember Chase literally from that thing, I was like, hey, man, what would you think about, you know, kind of that time? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm not a Christian after that. <laughs> I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, I've never been that open before. I've never seen this. I remember his heart softened how incredible it was. Do you remember for you? Now, this is, uh, this is Spencer right here. And I remember the first time he got open about his life and different things and, and just the hurts that he had through life and how freeing it was for him to finally get open. I remember the same thing for Kiani two years before that 
who these, the, he's on the, you know, he was on the football team, and he just thought I was the weirdest dude on the planet. But for some reason, um, you know, in a moment of struggle, he got open and, and got open about stuff he never has bef- before. And I just remember seeing the light in their eyes, the freedom that they started to feel. This is, uh, this is Harrison Ellison. This is obviously a great photo of us right here. Um, but man, there's just nothing better than the post-baptism hug. You guys know what I'm talking about? That hug? I remember when Harrison got baptized, he would not let go. Just an incredible feeling. I'll never forget that moment. With so many of those guys, just that I just shared, I feel those things. You know, the world wants to trivialize sharing our faith. We live in a world today that you can click and share. But is that what it takes to make a disciple? Like Matthew 28? You know, people literally, oh, just, just share something about Jesus, and that's, that's, that's go witnessing. That's not what it is, guys. We know that, right? The world wants to trivialize that evangelism. All you need to do is to get someone to believe or to intellectually believe, just like the demons do, and yet not really make them into disciples. You know, Jesus could have said anything with his last words. He said, hey, go and find people to, to, to go to church on Sunday. Go and make some believers. Go and make some really good people. But instead, he says, no, go and make disciples. You have to get messy for that. You know, I wanted to share about someone. One of the most inspiring conversions I've ever seen was Anthony Tullers. For those of you guys who know him, then you know him. And, uh, but I'm not going to post his photo up there. But uh, he's such an incredible friend. I remember we did a chariot ride. And, uh, and we talked about the cross. And I remember him weeping, just seeing the love of Jesus for the first time. You know, Anthony had grown up going to church all his life. But at, at some point in his life, he realized that he was same-sex attracted. He didn't decide that. That was just... That was kind of just his, his lot. And so when he went to church, he felt so alienated. Not just that homosexuality was a sin, but just that it was an abomination. He was hated. He, he's been ostracized from his family at different points in his life. He's been cut off. And yet he saw the love of Jesus for the first time. And he wept, and he's like, I would do anything for this. And I remember when we counted the cost, and I, and I looked at Anthony, and man, it was, I mean, this was one of those where helping someone become a disciple is messy. It takes, it's, it takes more than just sharing your favorite verse of the day. It takes getting into someone's life. And I remember I go, Anthony, we got to count the cost here. And I know that you have this temptation do you realize that if you're going to get baptized, you can't live like this, pleasing this temptation of being same-sex attracted ever again? That if God, doesn't, if, you, if, you, if God doesn't bring a woman in your life, then you're going to have to be single for the rest of your life. 
and fight to please Jesus. He goes, after what Jesus did on the cross for me? Are you kidding me? Of course I would do that. Just the courage. I will, like, what excuse? I remember going, man, I have zero excuse. I have zero excuse to give up the things in my life. Anthony is absolutely one of my heroes. And the reason why I feel comfortable sharing this is because he'll talk to anyone who asks him. He shared it at our TNLs. Like, he's kind of my secret weapon at this point that kind of shares his conversion story once a semester. But I, it's just inspiring to see someone become a disciple. You know, I remember um, the first, one of the first people I helped become Christians was this guy named Christian. And I, to, make a, to make the story short, one day I decided with me and my buddy, we decided we were not going to quench the Holy Spirit once that day. And so we were out there. We were actually in Berlin, Germany on a summer mission trip. And we were out there. We were ready to go to share our faith. And, uh, and we were going all day, all day. But, you know, even on a day when you say that you're not going to quench the Holy Spirit once, you have to go to the bathroom. And so I went to the bathroom. And, uh, and a guy, you know, stands in the stall next to me. And unfortunately, we make eye contact. <laughs> and that kind of little whisper in the back of my head came, remember that promise you said? I was like, why right now? And so I chicken out. I walked to wash my hands. I did wash my hands. Wash my hands. He stands right next to me washing his hands. We make eye contact again. I chickened out. And then I was with my buddy Chris Koha. We were going together, and he, you know, he was waiting outside the bathroom because us guys, we don't, we don't do that. You know, we don't go in the bathroom at the same time. We don't do that. You know. And so, so I go, and I'm like, like as I'm walking out, he's like, "What, dude? What?" I mean, we've been sharing our faith all day. Like, what in the world could this mean? Besides that, and so. So we, we walk, you know, we start walking. I'm like, dude, forget it. We keep walking. We're over here. And he, I kid you not, is probably where the corner of the building is over there. And I, last minute, I turn and I run after him. And I go over. And he, I don't remember saying this, but this is the way he tells the story. Apparently, the first words that came out of my mouth after that was, what's up, dude? Do you speak English? That's the first thing you have to say. And then I said, do you believe me and you could be best friends? So weird. It was so weird. That was me and my 19-year-old self. What's crazy, though, is we shared our faith night and day for six weeks. He was the only person that became a disciple. And now, just such a small world we live in. I was up in Boston, had no clue about Atlanta or this area, but who does he marry? Liz Chang, who went to Georgia Tech and was a part of this campus ministry. It's just a crazy to think about. You know, as I think about the call that Jesus gives us to go and make disciples. 
You know, I, I think about also the hardships. You know, I think about just me and Nathan and how many times we've cried for the same dude that we still are studying the Bible with, still reaching out to, still a struggle. You know, I think about my times in Philly where I, you know, I probably studied the Bible with 50 to 70 people over the course of two and a half years, and, and none of them became Christians. And just the sheer rejection over and over and over again. I think about the nose. There was this one time I shared my faith with this dude, and he lifted his, I was like, hey man, you'd be interested. And he lifted up his shirt. He said, what do you think? And, and it was like a tattoo, and it was an upside down cross with a dude, you know, crucified on it. And in my, what I didn't realize was he was trying to say, dude, I'm not interested. Apparently that was like the antichrist symbol or something like that. But I was like, dude, Peter, that's awesome. So cool. So you are, and he was, he was so frustrated. But, uh, but man, I think about the rejection. You know, getting kicked off campus two and a half years ago. Not being able to be at Kennesaw, having to do Bible talks at my home, the rejection. You know, even with the rejection, is there anything more beautiful than helping someone find God? Do you remember the last time you were able to do that for someone? What did it feel like? Do you remember when you found God? and how lost you were. Where were you? Was it the smoothest dialogue that kind of won your heart over? Was it the perfectly crafted approach? You know, I found that, man, there is just no, there's no wrong way to share your faith. The real, the most important thing that we've got to do is we've got to go. And we've got to make a decision to make disciples. You know, I want to ask a question for you guys. You know, Tom was able to mention just how, like, wow, just the miracles of people that have been able to become Christians and how there's 200 campus students in the ministry that have, have you know, vowed to follow Jesus. And it's such an amazing miracle. i got to ask you a question. Do you think it's easier to help campus students become Christians? It's a question that I literally think every single one of us has to ask. Do you think it's easier? You know, I remember when we first moved here, and, uh, and we had like a dream team of girls at, at Kennesaw. We had uh, Bethany, uh, Alyssa, Jane, Anandi. Um, we had, uh, I'm trying to think of, um, Violetta, and these girls with Courtney, they decided at the beginning of the semester that they were going to make a goal of how many people they wanted to share their faith with. And, you know, Courtney, I remember going, okay, hey guys, what do you think? And the girls kind of in unison, or one by one, one person mentioned it, and they, then they went around, they each decided in that week they were going to share their faith with 500 people, each. And I remember, they just were like wild wild warrior princesses or something just they just went after it i mean they were sharing their faith all day long the first two weeks of the semester you know what they, they couldn't find enough people on campus so at 9 p.m it gets kind of weird to share your faith like 
at night, especially like, you know, 10, 11. So what they did is they went to Walmart at 9 o'clock at night because they wanted to hit their goal so bad to go share their faith. They pushed themselves. And it was an incredible victory. I think that's that, uh, that week, or in those first two weeks, we shared with 13,000 people in just a week or two. And the campus ministry was around 80 students at that time. And that Sunday service, two weeks later, we saw 190 people at that service. And it was incredible. It was so inspiring. I don't think this is motivating you that it's easier or harder on campus or easier, right? But what, what you don't know in that story is it's amazing, but you know, we saw 25 people become Christians that semester, which is amazing. It was the mo most we'd ever seen. But what does 13,000 to 25 look like to you? You know, I think sometimes we can let ourselves off the hook. I really do. And we can say that people are not open at different age groups. I guess the question that we have to ask is how many people are we sharing with? Because if you share with a couple people over the course of a month, it, it would be difficult to see, the, see that type of harvest. You know, I think why it's so important to focus on this passage. Jesus told 12 guys with maybe a couple other people to go and make disciples. What did that communicate to them? Okay, we got to do this a lot. We got to share our faith. You know, I want to ask the, those that are, that are young professionals. You know, probably outside of the campus ministry, you, you have more time than anyone else. You're not married. You have so much time to do what these people did. What do you use your time for? What do you do after 5 o'clock? Do you have a heart to go after and to share your faith, to meet new people, to deal with rejection? What about us marrieds? We may have less time, but there's no one that's given to more than us. We have a spouse that literally, it, by the Bible, have to give to us that we constantly are being given to, right? We'll literally live this, this, this incredible thing that we get to be given to on a daily basis, that we're bonded. But what do we use that extra pouring into for? Do we use it to pour out? I want to talk to, uh, to the teen ministry, if I can, real quick. Um, are they here? They're here, okay, cool. I didn't hear a lot of, a lot of who's. This passage talks about making disciples. You do no one a favor by just showing up. I'm serious. You know, when I was 14 years old, I remember begging God to not come back because I knew I wasn't ready. I remember that. I remember exactly where I was sitting. I remember the color of the seat because I knew I was not right with God. You know, when I think about the ascension, I think about the fact that Jesus is coming back and descending. Are you ready? Have you thought about it? Do you think you have all the time in the world? Because I'm serious. 
The clock is ticking. There is a countdown. And I'm not just talking to the teens. All of us who are studying the Bible, I've got a question for you. What are you waiting for? To commit to God, to give your whole heart. What are you waiting for? What's stopping you? Do you think you have all the time in the world? You know, as I think about all this, I think about how hard it is to talk about it. And I want to read something to you guys as I close. This was a, uh, a letter I wrote to the campus ministers around the country, kind of just sharing how I was feeling this semester. Because the problem with this challenge, right, it's inspiring to see people become Christians, isn't it? Those moments, it's all the work it takes to get to that moment. That keeps it challenging. And, uh, and it's a challenge for me every day. And I want to read this. I hope it doesn't bore you. It says, hey, guys, I just want to share my heart with you today. KSU just started school on Monday, and I know many schools around the country will begin in the weeks that follow. Yesterday was my first day on campus sharing, and I feel incredibly intimidated by people and by the goal I set for myself the first few weeks of school. I have a serious love-hate relationship with the first two weeks' push to evangelize my campus. And even though I think it's the most important thing that I do, I hate it. It feels like such a jolt to reality from, from zero to 100 miles per hour just in just a few seconds. I feel awkward, weird, and deeply selfish. I desire nothing more than to extend winter break another month and relax with my wife. But after just a few days, I've already feel convicted and inspired. I've met people that I can really see becoming disciples, and yesterday I wonder why I was ever afraid in the first place. That being said, I'm about to go sharing today, and I feel the same terror. I don't want to push myself. I want to figure out an easy way to get through it. But at the end of the day, I'm more terrified of how my lack of zeal and action could impact the lost souls on this campus and how it could impact the student leaders around me who look to me as an example and a standard, regardless if I want them to. I truly feel like the beginning of the semester, I have to be reconverted to wholehearted commitment. And as much as I hate it, I need it. And these goals push me to rely on God in ways I otherwise would not. I've already been praying for you guys to be filled with boldness and shameless audacity. I hope you will pray for me as well. Let's remember we have a long way to go in sharing our faith as relentless as Jesus did. Instead of relying on past moments of boldness, I need to look at the example set before me, the man who gave his blood for the world. I know at the end of these two weeks, if I truly push myself beyond my limits, I will feel much differently than I do now. Keep fighting, guys. It's worth it. Don't be afraid to go where you do not want to go. That's probably where Jesus is. That was an inspired moment in my life. I've never written something probably that uh, articulate. That's not one of my things, you know. But uh, I think about how hard it is to go out and do what the ascension does. But the fear that I have is that this happens. You know, the whole power in making disciples is that when you make a disciple, 
you teach them to obey everything that, you've command, that Jesus commanded, which would include what? Make disciples, right? You know, this incredible cycle, the only way we can evangelize the world is if we allow the dominoes to keep falling in our lives. If we stop, then it makes the work so much harder. You know, when, when one person decides to make a disciple, and then there's two, and both decide to do that, what happens? Then there's four. And when both decide to do that, what happens? And in 15 years, if every single person just decided, you know what, I want to be faithful. I want to make my goal to help someone become a Christian this year. In 15 years, you know what would happen? 100,000 people would become Christians. What if 1,000 a, a people in this room decided that, you know what, God has to determine the results, but I am going to do whatever I can in my power to be a part of this domino effect that Jesus talks about in this passage, this circle of life of continuing to pass it on. You know what's inspiring was not only did those people become Christians in that, in that uh, slide that I just showed you, all those photos, but they're doing the same thing, and that is the beauty. You know, I got a question for you. You know, Jesus offers a promise. He offers his promise that I will give you the Holy Spirit. Don't worry. Are you living a life that requires the Holy Spirit to help you? Are you living a life that requires the Holy Spirit to comfort you? Jesus gives us a daunting task, but he gives us one that we can only do if we rely on him. You know, for me, you know, my dad always has just this way of making things simple. And I remember when things were going crazy, even in the church, he just told me, you know, the only thing, I just decided that I was going to at least help one person every year for the rest of my life. That's my goal. I'm just going to do that. I can't control everything around me, but I'm going to just try and teach one person to make a disciple and then teach them to obey everything so I can duplicate that. You know, but talking to my dad, you know, a couple months ago, I just asked him how he was doing, and, I, and he said, I feel tired. I just feel like, man, I'm on my own. And I'm by myself. And, you know, honestly, I feel like so many amazing things are happening here. And I think that, that's why Courtney and I really do feel the pull to, to move to Europe. Because there is just a whole world out there. That's why I'm so grateful for Generosity Sunday in two weeks. I'm so grateful that we have this prayer chain that's coming up. Because do you not, I mean, all of us, we feel We've got to wrestle in our hearts when we're deciding what we are going to give, how much we actually care about the mission. Don't you? Because you've got, we have to examine like, whoa, okay, I need to give, I'm going to give. How much, how much do I really want souls to be saved? How much do I care about that? How much do I care about the ends of the earth? You know, do you have a goal in your mind as the, as, the, uh, as the worship team comes up, do you have a goal in your mind of, you know what, I'd love to be in a Bible study once a week. I, I mean, I've heard some people say that, man, I want to be studying the Bible with two people at a time, so if one person falls off, I can be making, I can still be obeying this command that Jesus gave. You know, this passage talks about you need to be taught to obey. This is, I think, one of those areas that we need to be taught the most. 
is to have accountability. Do you have people in your life asking you, how you doing reaching out to the lost? When's the last time you walked around your neighborhood? When's the last time you decided I'm going to share my faith in the mall? When's the last time you prayed for the lost and really thought through those things? You know, I love this, this challenge because when we, we live out this life, like Jack said even in his video, when we give in this type of way, uh, Jesus really gives back to us. I love you guys. I hope this was meaningful.